Dispatches, a production of Blurb Inc., is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hello, everyone. This is Dan with Blurb, and I'm in San Francisco today talking with a uh, friend that I've known now for probably six, seven years, Darius Himes, who's the director of the Frankel Gallery. I think I first met you in Santa Fe. Definitely. And I know that you're director of the Santa Fe, of, of the you're director of Santa Fe. <laughs> you are the director of the Frankel Gallery, but um, the first time I met you, you had flip-flops. So I came in at like early, early level. You came in early, yeah. And so director of the Frankel Gallery, and you've also had a history in, in publishing. You were one of the founders of Radius Books, which is a, how would you describe Radius? We, uh, we're a nonprofit uh, art book publisher focusing on the visual arts, um, both photography and, and contemporary art. And so for the first, how many years of your career did you focus on publishing and in books? Because when I met you, you were the, you were the designer of the photo Eye book catalog or the, uh, what was the, the book list, the yeah. book list, which I still have on my shelf in yeah. California. I have a whole, a whole range of those. They're fantastic. And so you spent how many years around publishing? Yeah, I, when I moved back from Israel, I had been living in Israel. I came back for graduate school in Santa Fe to go to St. John's College. And I started working part-time in photo eye books in the bookstore side. Um, after, as I finished grad school, I took over what was then a quarterly mail order catalog that actually it wasn't quarterly. It was, uh, it was like bi-monthly that we sent this out, totally black and white. It was, um, it was photo eye at that point was, was still and still is one of the best photography book stores on the planet. Mm -hmm. And um, the main way to reach customers was through a mail order catalog. This was just as internet shopping was starting, if that, okay. I mean, it sounds yeah, yeah. so archaic, and yet <laughs> there it was. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> no, it was just, yeah. this was like the late 90s, early 2000s. And I proposed that we turn the catalog into a quarterly journal devoted to photography books. And I did that until 2007. So that was a good, that's a good run. Seven year run of that. Um, then uh, I, with several other colleagues, we launched Radius Books. So I went from being somebody who was, who was in love with photography and working in a bookstore and loving photography books and writing about them and then starting to lecture about them and interviewing people to then wanting to publish books so and working with artists. I was going to ask, that seems like a natural progression to spend that much time that it seemed natural for you to just start publishing yourself. Totally. So I did, so Radius Books launched in the fall of 2007 with four books. Um, trying to think, three of them were by what you would call contemporary artists, and one of them was photo-specific, and it was by Mark Klett. It was the book Saguaro's. Oh, that's a great which, book. Yeah, is now out of print, and I'm very proud to have brought that uh, onto the list. And Mark was a, and still is, a professor of photography at Arizona State University, which is where I had studied um, and gotten my BFA in photography. So even though Mark was, I never was actually in a class with Mark, he was working with graduate students at that point, but he was, uh, he was this figure that I admired as a photographer when I was a teenager and in my early 20s doing and studying photography myself. And so... You studied photography and then went into the publishing biz, which you're, you're still involved in. And then you made a, a, a sideways move or a different different direction into the uh, into the gallery world here at Frankel. And how did that come about? Yeah, so 
I so Radius Books we launched in 2007, and I did that until I moved to San Francisco in April of 2011. So for a good four years, um, I was involved. I was doing that full time at Radius Books. For me, um, working at coming on board at Frankel Gallery, the gallery was something. It, it has always been in my mind. One of the one of the premier galleries for photography, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Frankel started the gallery in 1979, and it was even one of those. In my mind, it was an institution um, in the sense that even as an undergrad, um, several of of my professors in photography mentioned the gallery, sort of pointed out the publishing program, um, the artists that the gallery represented were artists that we all studied and loved, like Lee Friedlander and Robert Adams, Deanne Arbus, Gary Winogrand, etc. And uh, so the chance to work at an institution that um, worked with artists that I deeply admired, um, showing their work, and then also publishing books, it felt like, it felt like an... Um, an expansion of what I was doing, but it included all of the things that I was already doing. So there's a deep love of books here at the gallery, as well as a deep love of the artists. Behind you is literally, uh, I don't know how many, 20, 30 foot wide and 20 feet tall of books. Yeah. 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 That's impressive. Yeah. So that, so that idea of, you know, my, my earliest, I think of it, my earliest career in photography was as a photographer. I mean, going to art school and training as a photographer and as an artist well, let, um, let's talk about that a second because that's something that's often people don't know about you is that yeah. you we talked on we touched on a briefly earlier which was you studied photography but you worked as a photographer as well yeah it, uh, I my earliest sort of self-conception during college and just out of college was as an art photographer I mean that's that is what I you know that's what I did and what I studied and how I thought of myself and after immediately after college I had the opportunity to go overseas and work for an organization in Israel that had a permanent collection of historical photographs. So there was this, there was this already a kind of love of archives. <clears throat> but at the same time, we were called on, I was working in the audiovisual department, and we were called on to, to make photographs. And I was in the darkroom sort of nonstop. So Printing, um, processing film, doing E6 development—like all of those, uh, what all of those analog processes are kind of in my blood and were in my blood from early on, and and sort of seeing the world visually. That then, when I when I came back to the states, I as I said, I was working at PhotoEye, and that kind of morphed into just that love of photography. Then sort of transcended and became something much more broader and and maybe a little bit more intellectual. Um, but I think of as, as I think of those early days of doing, fo- doing photography, doing those processes, having my hands, you know, in the trays as being so, so much the foundation of how I understand photography even now. And it's, it's nice to be able to talk with artists knowing what they do, like the actual craft of what they do. So I just got asked to write a forward for somebody's book and I said no I don't want to do that and they and they said no 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 you really I really want you to write this and I said why do you want me of all people to write this and he right. said because you're one of the only people who understands what I do in mm. terms of the mm. he's a documentary guy does long-term projects right and I think the technology obviously changed dramatically in the past 15 years right. and I think with it came a change in how people perceive what a photographer does and right. when you're a documentary photographer and you're shooting reality-based work 
that's not something that you can fabricate and it requires going into the field over and over and over and sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't and so I think um, it was just something that need, you know needs to be explained but in your world, we've also seen a lot of transitions in, in, in publishing. And so the photography that you did in the past was sort of a great under, way for you to understand what's happening. Uh, what, what kind of changes and where do you see publishing and galleries headed mm. in the future? Is there, is there any like major twist that we have coming or are we going to stay consistent to what we've had? Because obviously this is a long running tradition when you walk into a place like totally. Frankel. Yeah. There's a there's an energy or power here that's very distinctive. Yeah, no, definitely. I wanted to say just in relation to what you, you said about your friend asking you to write the foreword, you bring a certain level of empathy to what they do. Sure. That is, it, it's, it's in a way, it's, I want to say it's insider knowledge or it's firsthand experience of what they're going through. And I think that that is key. I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's a great... It's a great place to be to be able to empathize with somebody, and particularly with artists who, you know, it's not necessary, but it is, it, you just, it, it sort of, it brings a level of understanding and I think trust at times. Well, you used firsthand, which is yeah. how I actually described him in the, in the foreword was he lives a firsthand life. You yeah. can't, as a documentary photographer, you can't, you can't live any other life. You can't, as a writer, you can sit, you know, and I worked in the newspaper world, a lot of times writers would write articles without leaving the building. Right. And as a photographer, it doesn't matter what kind of that. photographer you are. Yeah. You've got to be right sort of front and center. Yeah. When it comes to, when I think about photography and galleries, um, here it's really interesting on any, just looking around the room, we're sitting here in the library, but there's art on the walls. Um, and then also looking, just thinking about the things that are up on the walls now, like in the offices, um, here in the library, and in other rooms, there's really... There's an entire range of the history of the technology of the medium here. So, for instance, we have a daguerreotype hanging in the back. It's a modern daguerreotype by Adam Foose. We have um, pigment prints by Katie Grannon here. Mm -hmm. We have gelatin silver prints by Arbus on my right. We have uh, ilfachrome prints by Richard Leroyd hanging. Um, we've got C prints by Mizrak. There's, you know, it's just kind of like when it comes to that, when it comes to sort of the evolution of photography from a technology standpoint, we honestly just don't care in the sense that there's no prejudice. It's just if it look, if it's a beautiful object, if it's got yeah. object presence, doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how you made it. If you made it with a Xerox machine, it doesn't matter. You know, it's that kind of love of the medium. And in that sense, I see, I see galleries as still being that space for artists as well as oftentimes it's the visionary one or two people that, that have started the gallery or run it that kind of collaborate in presenting to the world objects to consider. You yeah. know, and, and for the most part, many people don't really care how they're made. They just want to be well, around beautiful things. That's what I love about the art world is that it seems to me in photography, it's one of the last remaining true like wilderness areas where yeah. you can kind of do anything you want. And totally. I think historically photography mm. has always been associated with the how. I mean, there's a right. tremendous amount of people out there who are more concerned about how things are done in photography than the actual work itself. Right. Whereas in this world, it's obviously like we don't, that, that's a part of the story, but it's not the headline. Exactly. It's like, is this beautiful? Does it work as a series? And I think there's a freedom there that I love because I've seen photography change a lot over the past 20 years or so. And I have more appreciation now for the, for the art world and the photo art world 
than I ever have before. And just to get your thoughts on something, when people ask me about art and photography, I always have said to people that I don't think photography is art and I get mm. slaughtered immediately for that. But I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean that it's its own thing, that it's right. deserving of being its own thing. Right. And there's been much, many stories throughout history about when, you know, photography has always had a, taken a backseat to art. But right. then when, when sales of certain images reached a certain level, images sold, uh, photographers sold images for a million dollars, and then suddenly the art world took notice. Does that matter? Does it, I mean, is it mm. still the goal of a fine art <clears throat> photographer to make the jump from the photo fine art world to the fine art world? Well, in many ways, there's a, there's a bit of that still, like the consideration, if you're an artist, to consider the gallery, you know, to consider when you're looking at a gallery, are they... Are they strictly photographs or are they, do they sort of operate in the larger art world? Um, and the very interesting thing is over the last maybe 15 to 20 years is that, as you, as you said, the larger art world has paid more and more attention to the photography world. So, you know, last year I went to the APAD show, which happens in the spring in New York. And actually the last couple of years now, David Zwerner Gallery has had a booth at APAD. APAD is a, you know, the Association for International Photographic Art Dealers. That's what APAD stands for. David Zwerner is not a photography dealer. He is, you know, probably one of the world's largest, best just art galleries. You know, shows the estates of Donald Judd, Dan Flavin, etc., etc. But he has several photographers on his roster, and he's got a booth at APAD. And so that that's just a, a single example of how the world is starting to see the power of photographs in that art world context. I mean, mm -hmm. if you were to ask many contemporary artists who are some of the most powerful artists, names like Diane Arbus and Lee Friedlander are on that list, not as the most, you know, most influential photographers, exactly. but simply as artists. As Arbus, peers. Yeah, as peers. And so I think that there's, there's a bit of that the walls are crumbling in that sense. Um, there may always be, you know, bastions of purists, but that's, that is, that's fine. So I have a question. When you, you jumped from studying photography into writing, writing at PhotoEye and then into publishing and then into the gallery world, was, what kind of learning curve was there for you to make the jump from, from discipline to discipline? Was mm. there, because, I think, yeah. you know, I look behind you at this wall of books and you know, to be able to understand just that wall of books right. is a pretty monumental undertaking. And I <laughs> totally. kind of look at someone like you that's in this position, which I, I look at you as a person that has a bullseye on your back because every photographer that I know wants a show at Franco Gallery, right, right. which I was going to ask you for. Can I get a show at Franco Gallery? <laughs> we'll okay. talk. Okay. That's awesome. And I just wonder, this is kind of a strange question, but but how do you learn today? Like, where yeah. do you go and who do you turn to? Because I'm, I'm sure that you could study publishing and photography books and, and the gallery world for the rest of your life and never, never yeah. take it all in. So, like, how yeah. does that work? You know, well, I, I, um, it's a great question. I have just, just on a personal level, I've just always been voracious in my studying um, and you know, studying, going to art school and voraciously, you know, learning techniques and way, you know, making photographs and just diving, you know, diving, you know, both feet in. But then even po post school, I've just, 
always had a book in my hands or I've always been curious about the world. And I think, um, I think tapping into your own passion is, is totally key. For me, I think very early on, maybe even during college, I kind of intuitively knew that photography and books were these two huge kind of categories or fields of study that I just loved. And I knew that I was going to be involved with them and for the rest of my life. And that, has, that hasn't waned. Um, that interest has only grown. And so from a certain viewpoint, it looks like I've kind of jumped around to different parts of the industry. But it's always been it's, with this, I just love photography. So loving photography in the sense of making them, making photographs. Loving them in the sense of learning about other photographers through books. And then extension from that, learning about the publishing process you know in the midst of all of that somehow mary virginia and i managed to write a book about that, how publishing works yeah that, that in itself knowing what i know about publishing now and then also knowing what i know about actually sitting down and trying to write that that, yeah, that, that is was a, that it's not only is it a remarkable feat but that book is strange is the wrong word it's so good it's so good. Thank it's you, one of the few you. books that I have that I would call it on one hand a, a technical book, a right. how-to book. It's a book. bit of a how-to. But it's also such a wonderful reference. I go back to that book all the time. It's one of those books that I feel like a total shill when I'm out in the world. And I, I, people look at me like, oh, he's probably getting some sort of kickback <laughs> when he talks about that book. But it's really, really well done. Thank you. Which brings me to the next question, which is about your, your free time when you relax. Are you able to do any photography anymore or do you even want to do photography anymore I actually I do that's that is that is sort of like my my little secret activity Oh um, really <laughs> But it's not it's really so it's almost like journal writing it is so private and and in that sense um it's very it's very occasional but but I actually my free time is really about um it's really still just reading and looking. I mean, I love to I love to look through books. I love to learn about new artists. Um, I love reading, but my my reading go. I would say, if you were to look at my metaphorical bedside bedside stand, it's not art and photography theory. It's a lot of other things. Like I'm deeply interested in. Um, all parts of the human experience, and you know, histories and. Um, the way, you know, the traditional role of arts in society. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of kind of things that go far outside of, of the art world that somehow is stimulating enough that it finds its way back into other curiosities about the art world. I don't know. I think that, um, yeah, I've just always been a little curious. I think that's interesting because I don't know if this happens to you or you think about this, but you see when you see people and you're out in the world traveling and you, you, you know, we're immediately assessing people as we go through the world. Right. And sometimes we're dead on and a lot of times we're completely off base. Totally. And so sometimes when you see people and you see them pulling out a book, you automatically assign what that person would be reading. Right. And I love when you find someone that's completely opposite of, of what you would think. So right. I agree with you. I think um, I, I, so I do a lot of reading. I just finished a book about... Um, I think his name is Glenn Greenwald. He's a guy that wrote about, he was one of the first people that Edward Snowden leaked documents right, to. Right, And the, the NSA surveillance thing, 
you know, my friends and my wife are like, well, really, you're going to read that? I'm like, I, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. And so I think that there, there is kind of an endless sea of information out there. Totally. Uh, yeah, both contemporary, you know, current events to historical events. I mean, I oh, yeah. kind of love the whole range. One, a book I read, this was just a couple of years ago, but it was on um, the, it was on Genghis Khan and I think it was called Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. And it was just just fantastic sort of historical book about the fact that under Genghis Khan's rule, he instituted things like credit cards. And I mean, it was an early form, obviously, but it was this, or, and also the idea of the modern passport comes from that era where diplomats had to travel through so many different lands all under his rule, that they had a passport. <laughs> so Very cool. Yeah, I mean, totally that's cool, yeah. I wonder if they had little, little stone stamps. <laughs> yeah, like exactly, it's like, etched. yeah, here I am, I'm passing out of the Persian Empire into the Mongolian. Anyway, just, I, I don't know, I love that kind of stuff. And so, uh, what's, what's, what are you working on now? I mean, what's the, what's the next thing for you? Um, well, the, uh, the work at the gallery, the, so the gallery celebrates its 35th anniversary. Wow. This, it actually has already celebrated it. The official opening date was September 11th, 1979. Wow. So September 11th of 2014 was the 35th anniversary. And the, there will be a big celebratory exhibition called, uh, under the title, The Plot Thickens, which is a great kind of literary nod um, to the future. And that show will launch in late November and carry uh, carry the gallery through until the end of January when our first show by Alex Soth will oh, nice. hit the walls. And it's that show will be um, the first time that any of his new work from all of the state-by-state dispatches mm-hmm. that we've kind of all been seeing as he releases them through Little Brown Mushroom. It'll be the first time any of that work has actually been released in through the galleries. Um, it's only been available, it's only, it hasn't been available as prints. We've only seen those images as the newspapers. Um, so that show will launch and it's going to be super exciting. And it's, it's those two shows right there to me represent the best of the gallery, which is this sort of long view history of the medium in the 35th anniversary show, which will be a, it'll be a fantastic eclectic collection of things from the dawn of the, of photography up until the present moment. And then followed immediately by brand new work by a sort of rising young star in photography. That's nice. That's a nice, uh, a yeah. nice, in, to use a baseball term because the giants are playing right now. That's a change up. That's, <laughs> that's a, a good, that's change, a good up. change up. Is there anything about Having been in the gallery world and the publishing world, is there anything that if you had some sort of magic ability to change things, is there anything that you, that's sort of in the back of your head, you kind of go, I wish I had the power to do this or do that? And I know I'm probably completely mm. putting you on the spot with that question, but. the Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, well, just in relation to, gosh, the thing that is the double-edged sword of, I would say maybe not the internet, but of this moment in time is that there is just, there it's seemingly infinite resources out there. There's so many photographers making so many amazing projects, um, lots of self-published things, lots of smaller publishing houses, and yet that is its own weakness as well. There's so many of those things. How yeah. do you actually find, you know, how do you, where do you go to learn it all? There's no... 
this idea of like the centralized resource that was, you know, the local library or was the Encyclopedia Britannica, like those ideas are gone. And um, for both better and worse, you know, right, it's, it's right. Uh, so I don't, you know. It's splintered. It's splintered in a way that is, maybe it's commensurate with just where we are as a human race, that we have access to people all around the world, and yet how do you hold all of that in your head? You really can't. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I think actually finding a way to be okay with these larger, um, what, are, what seem like paradoxes, where it's like, I can fly to the other side of the world tonight and be there tomorrow, and yet there's, a, so it seems like accessibility and yet there's no way for me to actually know all of all of the things there are to know. And being okay with that tension as an artist, as a human being, is just part of life. Well, I think it's an interesting point. I the other day I was try was talking to someone else and I, I sort of described what you're talking about in a way, maybe we're talking about the same thing, which is we simultaneously know everything and nothing. And it was yeah. based on I was riding my bike and I came across a young kid who was also riding his bike and we started talking. And he referenced some incredibly obscure happening in some remote region of the world that I didn't know about. And I'm fair, fairly informed on, on World Matters. But when I noticed he was pedaling, he was pedaling with his heels on the pedal. And I said, I said, have you ever tried the ball of your foot? And he looked at me and said, what's the ball of my foot? And I was kind of like that, <laughs> right. that in some weird way. Right. Is like, right. And th the other thing that's changed for me is like I have to go to Australia in a couple of weeks. And I'm fly from Los Angeles to, to Sydney. And it's exciting. And, you know, right. I've, I've been there once before, but I barely know it. And I had an amazing trip the first time. I almost feel this weird responsibility now, now that, yes, I can fly to Sydney and I can do these things. But I, I sort of owe it to myself and everyone else to slow down a tiny bit and try to right. try to simultaneously understand some of the basic things of, of life that maybe perhaps connect all of us as opposed yeah. to just like jetting over and wearing red pants and staying at a cool right. hotel, which right. I'm going to do. And I, and I have red pants, by the way. <laughs> well, ultimately, facts and information is not the same as experience and knowledge. And understanding. Yeah. yeah so for sure. being able to kind of separate out principles from the particulars of life is important. And on the flip side, what is the best thing about working in publishing and galleries? Like what's uh, the part that just kind of... It's always working with artists. I mean, that's always like just the best thing. Being around, um, being around artwork that is deeply moving and around people who are deeply thoughtful and put their entire heart and soul into what they're doing. That's, I would guess that's probably the best thing about any industry is around those who are, who are working with their heart and soul in what they're doing. And as a final item here, is there anything or anyone or any site or any book or anything that you would, that's one of your favorite things? Like I have a book that's mm. called, that was written by an author named Gretel Ehrlich who wrote a book called The Solace of Open Spaces. Sure. And I spent uh, from second grade through high school living four months a year on a cattle ranch in Wyoming. My dad was a rancher. And I'd never read anything about Wyoming that really really nailed what it was like to grow up in the 70s in rural Wyoming until I read that book. And I would buy stacks of it and carry it in the trunk of my car. And when I would talk books with people, I would right. literally give it, I bought tons and tons of copies and gave it out. Is there any book or song or website or whatever it is that you kind of go, this is cool. This is something that I'm, I'm going to hang with. Yeah, sure. There's a, 
I'll give you two things. One is um, a book, and it's called The Mirror of the Intellect by Titus Burkhardt. It's a collection of his essays. He was a Swiss um, philosopher and theologian who passed away, I think, in the 70s. So he's late 19th and early 20th century. Fantastic collection of writings, everything on the symbolism of chess to um, the philosophy of Islamic arts to um, cosmology and modern psychology. Totally fantastic. The other is um, a a favorite artwork that I don't get to visit nearly enough is in Houston, of all places. I wish it was elsewhere so I could see it. Hey, 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 I spent 15 (laughs) years in Texas, so uh, sacred ground. And it is part of the Manil's collection. Um, The Manil collection there in Houston has uh, the Rothko Chapel, which is fantastic. It has the Cy Twombly building, also fantastic. Um, But it has this other work, which is a small Byzantium chapel that was uh, rescued and brought over from Cyprus. And it's just the, it's just the domed uh, part of the uh, the dome behind the apse and then the actual dome over the central part of this tiny chapel that's from the Byzantium era. And it was incorporated into, it was, it was built inside an actual ordained chapel. There was a chapel built around it and you enter into that and then these two pieces of, you know, they're like 2,000 years old these murals in these domes float above glass, sheets of glass that form the outline of what the chapel would have been. And it's this absolutely amazing kind of sacred space that is deeply historical, but also extremely elegant and related to the expression of images by human beings. And those are two things that I love. Those are pretty solid. Yeah, yeah those were a good two things. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking time. I know that kind of, I literally sprung this on you no, and I said, love it. hey, I'm going to walk over and do it's an interview. Stuff. So uh, I really appreciate it. It's great catching up. I would love to do this a couple of times a year, just, just random. We'll do it. Random things. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.